just want to say a huge welcome to you. If you're new today or you've just, you're just visiting, you just happen to be visiting, it's really great to have you with us. We've had a, a visiting worship team leading us in worship, and it's been a wonderful time just in the presence of the Lord. Um, I've spoken with Jaden a little bit, and uh, he tells me that this team of people are not all from the same church, but they've come together as worshipers, loving to worship God together, that they uh, run a project called Safe House, which is really ministering to people perhaps on the fringe of church, finding their way back in or just coming into a church context. And so we want to bless them this morning. We will bless them this morning with a gift from New Life. But we want to thank them again for leading us in worship. And uh, we hope that you take a blessing with you as well for having been here. It's good. Dorothy, where are you, Dorothy? Here you are. Dorothy's going to bring us the Bible reading this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Today I am going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 14. Do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past a log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your own, in your eye, in your friend's eye, sorry. Um, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road difficult, and only a few ever find it. Thank you, Dorothy. That's lovely. Wayne's going to come and bring us a message just before he does. Just a reminder, everyone, the prayer room is open this week, um, 8 till 12, with the exception of Tuesday, okay? So it won't be open on Tuesday. It will be open the other days. Thank you, Wayne. Julie, Would you, you like can... the beautiful music to continue while you speak? I'd love it's it. It's like I feel like I'm just resting yeah. here. <laughs> Do you want it? Or... Yeah, he's offering. That'd be great. Yeah, let's have love it. it. Be something. I don't need this. Oh, you don't need this. No, you need that. Sorry. Well, for those who have just joined us, 
uh, in the, we're almost at the end of a series that we began in December. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, we've had different people speaking and I've been calling them our development squad. We've used a number of people uh, that are part of our congregation and uh, so, but today it's me. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Wayne Hollett. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Church. With Julie, we founded this church by the grace of God in September of 1997. So we're going through this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as I was preparing to speak, I thought, really, how do we capture capture in a simple phrase? And so I've come up with this phrase. It's on the screen behind me. Jesus' alternative people. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. If you want to understand what Jesus is doing, he's creating an alternative people. But it's... We don't begin in in chapter 5, we actually begin in chapter 1 of Matthew with Matthew's opening declaration of Jesus' qualifications as Messiah. And in Matthew 1 verse 1 he says, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. You may or may not know that Matthew actually wrote what we call his gospel or his biography of Jesus' life, however you want to say that. He wrote it and he wrote it primarily to articulate to a Jewish audience who Jesus is and to show them and to demonstrate using the scriptures. And so this opening phrase is really important because he is saying at the very beginning, this is a record of the ancestors, it's his family tree, of Jesus the Messiah. So right at the beginning, Matthew's telling everybody, the Jesus I'm going to tell you about is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Here are his qualifications. He's a descendant of King David. That's a pregnant and loaded statement. And he's a descendant of Abraham as well. See, all the way back in Genesis 3, God had promised that the seed of a woman would come who would crush the serpent who deceived Eve in the garden. This is Genesis 3. And so Matthew is saying to us that Jesus is that covenant son, the covenant son that's come through Abraham. He's telling us that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of King David. Now, for those of us who are not uh, of Jewish birth or lineage, we can sometimes gloss over the family tree in Matthew and we don't. We kind of get, it's a list of names. It's a bit boring. I want to encourage you this morning, don't gloss over the first line. Ask the Holy Spirit to fully help you understand what Matthew's saying when he makes these statements. And as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, it's very clear that Jesus is teaching his disciples that they're to be a different people. There'd be a better alternative people. All the way through, that is what comes through over and over again. And those of us that are Jesus' disciples, this is what we signed up for. This is what our world continues to need. People who live in the way that Jesus invites us to live. He's formed a new community. A people who are at home in the covenants with Abraham and King David. A community that's centered on Jesus and a community that's relying on Jesus and each other. Please do not think that you have it within yourself to obey the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus, 
outside of the context of a community who are also running that running in that same direction. None of us can do this. It's in the context of community that we help one another, that we strengthen one another, that we build each other up and are able to do that. We want to be a people who are at ease in our identity as citizens of God's kingdom. There's so many times in this, in this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about God as Father. And we're going to look at one of those today. And we want to live in this identity as we're confident children trusting in our Heavenly Father. We've got our absolute confidence in Him. So let me summarize that with this next slide. It is, to be Jesus' disciples is nothing less than becoming a visible and better alternative to the rest of the world. By the way we live, by the way we do family, by the way we do community. Now I'm aware that I'm speaking to a range of people this morning and you're at all different places in this and no one's throwing stones at anyone and you might be going, oh, my life's a mess, my family's a mess, my, you know, I'm a mess, a mess, a mess. Whatever you might be thinking at the moment. You say, I want to invite you again today into this to say yes to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say, Jesus, take my broken, messed up life, my broken, messed up family, Will you help me in my relationships with other people so that, so that together we become this better, visible alternative that points people to you? That's the idea of all this. So we're going to focus on these first 14 verses of Matthew 7 this morning. I want to encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you as, I, as we quickly go through this. We're not doing a deep dive. We're doing overview things. But So let me just say this at the beginning. If you pay careful attention, and we've been encouraging you. I was encouraging you. I was really uh, banging this drum when we began the series, wasn't I? Read the Sermon on the Mount every week. Read it three times a week, every week while we go through it. You'll, get, you, you'll take so much more away from a Sunday. I'm not going to ask you if you've been doing that, but I hope you have. But if you haven't, it's not too late. You've got one week left. You can jump on board. You can do it. You take away so much more. So if you've been doing that, you will have noticed that Matthew bookends what we call chapter 7 with themes of God's judgment. And, he, and one of the things that, he, that comes through in chapter 7 is as Jesus' disciples, this, this re, we live in this reality that we are anticipating the day of God's judgment. And we're living our lives now in readiness for that because we know that's going to happen. Isn't it, isn't it great to know you've got an exam coming up and here's the test and here's the answers? Don't you love exams like that? This is not, it's wonderful. See, God cares about us. It's like you can pass this exam. There's going to be an exam at the end. You can pass that exam by now. So let's begin this. So uh, next slide, we've got this text. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. And I think this is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied commands of Jesus. I honestly do. How many times have you had someone who's a non-believer or even someone who's a believer who you're trying to speak some truth to from the Bible say, you shouldn't judge me? And all you've been doing is trying to say, here's truth. 
And that's why I think it's one of the most misunderstood and misapplied commands. I don't think Jesus is telling us not to assess or evaluate people. Because if you think about that, if that was what Jesus was saying, that we are never to make a judgment call, how on earth would we recognize or discern a false prophet or a good tree and good fruit? Now, that's going to be spoken about next week. But you can't do that if you're not able to evaluate and assess, are you? So clearly he's not saying, don't make an assessment, don't make an evaluation. How will you recognize these things? The interpretive key is in his next statement, verse 2. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. If you think of it this way, Jesus is using a supermarket image of weighing produce. And what he's saying is the measure that you use to evaluate others is what will be used for you. That's what God will use for you. So that's both good news and bad news, right? If you're a very harsh measuring person, that's the measure that God will use and others will use to you. If you're a merciful kind of person like Jesus, like, the, like Jesus shows us he is, that's the kind of measure that will be used for you. There's a corresponding passage in Luke to the Sermon on the Mount. And in, in that passage, this is Luke 6. Jesus put it this way, Luke 6.37, Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give back and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So now typically Luke 6.38 is used to motivate people solely to give money. But if you look at verse 37... It's, it's about judgment. It's the same thing that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew, in Matthew 7 as well. And we can't separate these two things. They belong together. Jesus, what Jesus is saying is the way that we measure will be used to us. If we measure out condemnation to people, that's what will come to us. If we measure out forgiveness to people, that's what will come back to us. And not only will we get back the amount we received, but it'll be pressed down, shaken together and running over. So, you know those containers and you're trying to fit, well, let's, let's think even of a box of cereal sometimes and you open it and your children spill it out all over the floor. You're trying to put it back in the box. It's a bit of a challenge. It doesn't sometimes, you've got to shake it, you've got to push it down, you've got to, got to get it all back in the box. That's the image that Jesus says. What we give out is what's, what God's going to return to us, but he's going to return more than we gave out, which is great news if we're giving out mercy and kindness and love and generosity and joy because that's what the Father's going to give back. If we're dishing out harsh condemnation to people, that's what God's going to press down, shake together and give back to us. It's like, wow, I don't really want that. I don't want harsh judgment. So I, want to, I don't want to give harsh judgment to people because I don't want that to be what God presses down, shakes together and gives back to me. And this is part of this being an alternative people. So again, Jesus isn't saying to assess and to evaluate people. But he's saying the way that you do that 
is what the Father will use with you. A couple of good quotes I, I have found in my life about judging is this. This one's by Reverend William Nevins. Never met him. And he said this, and see if it isn't true for you. We judge ourselves by our motives, but others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our motives, but others by their actions. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, great name, he said this, We judge ourselves by what we feel capable of doing, while others judge us by what we've already done. It's interesting, isn't it? We judge, In other words, we judge ourselves by what we think we're capable of, but other people judge us by what we've done. So, important things. Okay, let's move on. Jesus continues and he says, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, let me say straight up, this is an intentional exaggeration to make a point, something that we all do all the time, except we don't use superlatives. And that went over most of your heads. Yeah, went over all of your heads, yes, all of the time. So... So what Jesus is saying here, when you judge others, remember remember, and be aware of the huge issues in your life that block and dis- distort what you see. You know, we can so easily find how easy it is to see the issues in other people's marriages or their children We can see the deficiencies in their intelligence. If we're a fast processor and they're a slower processor, we can often exaggerate that. We can can make fun of someone else's physical abilities or their lack of physical abilities. Jesus is warning us and saying, before you try to fix anybody else, fix yourself. That's the basic rule. Uh, when I was a younger pastor, I thought it was my job to fix people. That was even before I went to Bible college, when I was a youth leader in my church. And a slightly older member of the youth group took me aside one day and explained to me that I had a log in my own eye and I ought to attend to that before I set about trying to fix other people and it was some of the best advice I ever got. I am the most difficult person to fix. And so are you. You're the most difficult person to fix. And I want to invite you to, to, to say, actually, I've got a log in my own eye. And before I try to sort out anyone else's life, I need to deal with the log in my own eye so that I can see clearly because I actually don't see clearly. And the thing is, actually, I don't realize what I can't see because it's because the log is blocking my vision. So I can only see a little bit, 
but if I take the log out. So one of the things that Jesus is, I believe, inviting us into is to prioritize becoming, we in, I think it's in counseling or psychological terms where we talk about people becoming aware, being aware of our own blind spots. And again, you can, only, you, you can do some work for yourself, but you also need other people because there are blind spots that I have that I don't know I have because they're my blind spot, right? There are some things I know I need to fix in my life, but there's other things I don't. So I need people who love me, who will speak the truth to me kindly, gently, and invite me in to fix that or to suggest that perhaps I should go and talk to someone and get some help with that. So I need to prioritize this. So one of the important questions is, do you know why you do what you do? Do you know why you react the way you do? Do you know what, what drives what you spe- how you speak? Some people have an intensity about them. And they're so committed to getting the job done. And I've been guilty of this as well. That I'm so committed to get the job done, the task done, that in the process of focusing on getting the task done, I speak harshly to people and don't treat them well. And I damage people. It's one of my things I've had to fix. I've had to learn to slow down and try not to be in so much of a hurry. So the questions are, do you know why you're feeling anxious? You know, when you're feeling anxious, do you know what, how that changes or influences your behavior? One of the most important things we can do is become aware of the fear, the anxiety that's driving us and driving what we say and do. It's so crucial to become aware of that. How do we respond to that? And another one is, how do we respond to when we feel we're to rejection or perceived rejection. That's another big one. How do you respond when you, when, you're, when you feel afraid of rejection or you think people have rejected you? Another good one is to, is to know why you need the affirmation of people so much. Why the applause of the crowd? Why you can't... Um, a friend of mine said to me, again, when I was, when I was a teenager, like, Wayne... Why is it that you can't be still in your own presence? He was an introvert, I was an extrovert, so there was a good, you know, there's a fair bit of stuff I had to process on that, but it was true. I couldn't sit still. I had to be on the go all the time. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about because you've never been like that. That's not your personality type, right? But to be still, to be a, um, there's a, there's an excellent book been written it's called being a non-anxious presence isn't that a good good title hey being a non-anxious presence so i think that's part of what jesus wants us as his people to be is non people who aren't anxious so that when other people are in our presence we're able to be a calming influence on them a non-anxious presence These are things that you might want to ask the Holy Spirit to work on you in this year, which is the beginning of a new year. You might say, Holy Spirit, 
yeah, transform me. Help me take the log out of my own eye. Help me fix me before I worry about anybody else. So, Jesus continues, don't waste what is holy on people who are holy. Another translation says, or give what is holy to the dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and turn and attack you. Uh, a few comments on that. Pigs and dogs were considered unclean in Israel at that time. And of course, a pig and a dog have got no idea what to do with something that you think's valuable. Uh, how many... I've lost count of uh, the number of people who've, who I know, and even in this congregation. You've got a pet. You come home and your pet's absolutely destroyed. The couch or something, it's, it's just chewed, it's wrecked a cushion. It's just, you know, you left it in the house. Maybe it's a house animal and it's all those kind of things. And you've, you've, we, we had a, a dog, we called him Sandy. He was a Jack Russell Terrier, crossed with a wire head terrier. He, was, he loved to destroy things. Um, and, and we'd often come home and, well, uh, he, he was an outside dog, not a pampered one. Um, but he would still destroy things. We'd come home and you'd find he's, he's chewed through something. And he'd hear you come in and he's like, he'd look at you and he's like, he's got the thing in his mouth and he know he's busted, right? But you go out to take it off him and what's he do? He snarls at you. He knows he's done the wrong thing. He snarls at you, growls at you. That's what dogs do. Oh, it's a funny thing. So Jesus is saying this is very practical. Now, also in those days, of course, with sacrifices in the, in the temple courts because the temple was functioning when Jesus was alive in Jerusalem. And animals that were being set apart for sacrifice would be separated from other animals and kept in a special area in preparation for sacrifice. But before they were ever sacrificed, of course, the priest would carefully examine them. And if one had been found to develop a blemish of some kind, it would be considered unholy, unclean, and could no longer be offered in worship to the Lord. And part of what Jesus is saying is because the priest would not even give that which had been holy but now is unholy to the dogs. They wouldn't feed that animal to the dogs. But it's very, so Jesus is very practical with all this. He's saying, so we do need to evaluate a person before we give them something that's holy or precious to us. It just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You don't give something that's of incredible value and worth to you to someone who's not going to valuable, not going to treat it as valuable. This is what Jesus is saying. And then he keeps going. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? In chapter 6, Jesus spoke a lot about, spoke often about the Father. 
And we heard a great message from Aaron on that. And he said, we have a heavenly father who sees us, who rewards us, who cares for us, who provides what we need when we live for him. And now Jesus is adding something to that impressive list by declaring your heavenly father gives good gifts to those who keep on asking, keep on seeking and keep on knocking. And for me, one of the things I've learned about this is the importance of perseverance. Uh, Julie and I have had children. We've now got grandchildren. And sometimes we would test our children and sometimes we test our grandchildren to see if they really want something. You know, because children, they ask you for something, right? And then sometimes they forget what they asked you for and they go away and they keep playing and, they, and it never enters their brain again and it didn't matter that they didn't get it. But sometimes they really, really want it. And so they come back and they ask for it a second time and then maybe even a third time. And, you, and, it's, and it's in your heart to give it to them. You want to give it to them, but you're actually testing them a little bit to see. So I want to encourage you today. If there's things you've been asking the Lord for, and you're going, well, he hasn't answered yet, keep on persevering. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking him. Keep on knocking. But not as a demanding, pouting, stamp your foot, whinging child but as one who's speaking to your good father who loves to give good gifts to you. Speak to him like that. Because sometimes his delay is going to lead to something better. And I think there's probably many of you in this room that have seen that. Sometimes I've gone to God and Julie and I, we've gone to God and we've asked for something we thought was really important. And we've kept going and kept going and kept going and he hasn't answered us and then a better answer has come and we've actually thanked God that he didn't give us what we were asking for because this is far better you know so sometimes because you're asking and he hasn't given it to you it's not it's because he actually wanting to give you something better sometimes that and our appetite changes we realize that thing that we thought we were so intense about, and we thought we desperately need this. Well, after a while, we don't get it. We realize actually we didn't desperately need that. We needed actually this, and he gives us this. But the most important thing out of all of this is relationship. God wants relationship with us. Have you ever thought that maybe God doesn't give you what you ask because he actually enjoys the conversation? And the only time you go and talk to him is when you need something. And he's like, I'd just love to sit and chat with you every day. That's what I long for. I want you to just to come, just to sit and talk with me. Maybe that's his invitation to you this year. So Jesus continues now. And he says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So it's a beautiful saying, isn't it? Do to others whatever you would like them to do. Now, I prepared a handout because I thought, I want to encourage you today to think about this. If you didn't get one of these handouts, if you just put your hand up and the fit team will bring you one. So, yeah, your, I didn't have... You haven't got yours on golden paper. <laughs> so 
But I, I wonder, have you ever taken the time to stop and think about this? What Jesus has said. Have you ever, have you ever taken the time to stop and think, what are the things I want people to do and to say and to think about me? And make a little list of those things. And then make a list of what are the things that help me and encourage me. That's all in that column. But then you ask the opposite of that, which is what Jesus said. And you ask people, what are, the, what are the things I don't want people to do to me? And you make a list. And you keep that list. And, and whenever you find yourself frustrated or angry with another human being, you want to whip your list out and you want to stick to the left-hand column. We drive on the left-hand side in Australia. You stay left. Stay in the left column and go, okay, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated with them. So this is what I would want them to do to me. So I'm actually going to do it to them too. This is what I would want them to say to me, say about me to other people. So I'm going to say what, to, what I want about them to other people. I'm going to say this, right? And Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, when we do that, we are summing up. We have captured the essence of all of the law of Moses and the prophets. We've captured all that God wanted his people to be like. It's a great thing. Now remember, this is always in the context of covenant and relationship. So Jesus is saying to us, first of all, lay down a rule for yourselves. First of all, make a list. This is probably the only time I'm ever going to encourage you to think of yourself first. Because it's so helpful, so important. Think of yourself first. Make a list of how you want to be treated, what you would appreciate and want people to do for you. Make a list of the things that hurt you and that you don't want people to do to you because they hurt you. And then don't do those things to other people to hurt them. And so when we pull out our list because we need it, we put the other person's name in the list. And instead of saying, what I want people to do to me, we put that person's name there. We say, what person X, what Julie wants people to do for her, or whoever the person is. This might cut close to the bone, but you know, put the name of the person in New Life Church you find it incredibly difficult to be around. That annoying person you're about to be in a house church with. And go, here's what I'm going to do. What about your family? And what about your co co-workers? those difficult ones let's hold up the words of Jesus let's do it Jesus continues you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate 
the highway to hell or destruction is brought. Destruction is a better term. Hell's a very loaded term. Um, the, the highway to destruction is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Now, often these words are used to challenge people to give their allegiance to Jesus. There's a comparison of where the two roads end, and that's a good and appropriate example for this. But it's also, remember, Jesus is speaking to disciples. He's speaking to people. He's about, this is an alternative people that he's making. So, so in thinking about this, I thought maybe Jesus is saying something like this. I'm forming a completely different kind of people are people who will live out the fullness, the completeness of Torah. Remember, don't be, don't, th- don't be mistaken. Don't think I came to abolish. I came to fill it full of its fullness. He's forming a people whose relationships run like any others. These are kingdom of God people. And Jesus is saying that living this way is difficult. And he's saying to enter God's kingdom life, there's only one gate. And it's a tiny gate. It's just big enough for one person at a time. And you can't take your baggage with you. You know, you imagine squeezing through. I remember when Julie and I were in in Turkey, we went to Cappadocia and we visited the underground city where the Christians live. And there was places where you had to sort of really get down really low. You couldn't take anything through the opening if you were going to go through that into into the next chamber. And one of the things I really love about Jesus is that he never sugarcoats what it means to follow him. He's plain and simple. He's like, hey, there is a broad way that you could follow. It's easy. It's a, it's a beautiful road. It's paved. It's got street light. It's wonderful. But what you don't know is that road, plenty of people are on it. You're like, well, look. Look, everyone's going in this direction. And Jesus is like, yeah, that road actually leads to destruction. I don't want you to go to destruction. Come this way to the way of life. But wow, it's a lot more challenging. And so as we're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, this is the reality. We're going through this. And it's like, it is not easy. It's not a walk in the park, so to speak, to follow Jesus. It's beautiful. It's sunny. At times, there's rain, but it's difficult. And it costs us everything, just as it cost Jesus everything. And to follow him, we have to let go of what we think we're entitled to. That's a key thing. And that's why Jesus says only a few ever find what he is offering. And as he's speaking to that crowd on the hill of Galilee, Overlooking the Sea of Galilee, he's really saying only a few of you will actually become the kind of alternative people I have come to form. Only a few of you will want to go this way, the narrow way, the difficult way. It's the way of suffering before glorification, the same as Jesus walked, the crucifixion before resurrection, ascension and glorification so let me wrap up this morning and say this I think the Sermon on the Mount is a much higher vision than many of us have realised 
And as Jesus' disciples, we are meant to be a, a visible and better alternative to the rest of the world. And so I want to pray and I ask you to close your eyes with me. And as we pray, I just want to ask you a question. I want to give you a couple of, little bit of time to think about it and say, as we open this year, 2024, will you give your allegiance to Jesus, the Messiah, the covenant descendant of Abraham and the rightful heir of King David? Will you give your whole allegiance to him and to him only? And will you live as a member of Jesus' alternative people, which means obeying all his commands? It's that difficult way. Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning. We, we worship you not just with our words and our songs, but with our lives. We worship you. We want to continue to worship you as we go from here. We're going to sing again in a minute. But we want to continue to fix our gaze on you. Think of that song that we sang. We sang earlier, show me your face, Lord. Show me your face. So we just see your face, I could make it to the end of the road. And Jesus, you alone know the path that each of us are on. And for many of us, we're finding the going really tough. And my prayer My prayer and Julie's prayer, show us your face, Lord. Show us your face so we be captivated by you. So that even though the road is narrow and the way is difficult, it is the way to life. And you have the words of eternal life, Jesus. Show us your face, Lord, so that we can make it. Make it to the end because we keep our eyes fixed on you. So let your word do its work in all of our lives. I pray this morning for your honor and glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.